So we're going to have a look at voice behaviors and silence in organizations. Um, so we've kind of, over quite a period of time, we've amassed quite a few research briefings around this whole idea of voice, and I'll explain what they are in a minute. Um, and I, as we go along, I think something will become quite apparent is that um, they're really important like really important in organizations. And I don't think that organizations, people in organizations, leaders, managers really understand them and nor do they understand the importance of them. So um, we'll delve into all of that right now. So what are we talking about? What do we mean by when we're talking about voice behaviors so there are two terms that tend to be used largely within the research there's employee voice and voice behaviors They're the, the the terms that you'll come up the most um within the within the research literature so um employee voice the, the most common or the most dominant um definition of that is this and so it's the informal and discretionary communication of ideas suggestions concerns problems or opinions about work related issue with the intent to bring about improvement or change and quite often this gets confused so people think voice behaviors is just about people talking and it's not there's a purpose behind all of this um, and that it's there the purpose is there to create some form of improvement and that's very different from just having a chat or um, just kind of filling the silence and I'll show you what I mean by that when you look at most of the research and you look at the way some organizations talk about voice um, they tend to see it as a an opposition to silence which makes sense the kind of different things um, but they look like they're on the same kind of continuum and largely that's where the discussion stops either people are silent or then there's a range through that they're talking and hopefully that they're talking about improving things noticing problems whatever it happens to be uh, and I'd kind of go a little bit further than that and start to make a distinction between silence voice and noise where there's a lot of conversations going on but actually the the amount of information that's in all of the chatter is quite low and particularly in terms of whether or not it's helping to improve things or not and that's the distinction i would make with noise so and quite often organizations confuse noise with voice they just think that if people are talking, that's voice. That's not the case. So let's just have a quick look at the, the kind of usual research definition of silence, which isn't the opposite of voice, but it's the refusal to speak up or communicate relevant input. So it's, again, relevant input. It's not just anything, even when there's an opportunity to do so. So there's an opportunity for making things better, for speaking up and saying things, and they and the individual makes a decision not to. So it's a refusal. There's a conscious um, action here. I am not going to say anything. So 
with bearing that in mind, I'm going to make a kind of a proposition here is that voice and silence both are not just important, they're critical in organisations. And there's a reason that I'm saying this, and I really do not think they'll get enough headspace from organisations anyway, this whole idea. And the reason I say this is this, when you think about it, employees across the organisation are the eyes and ears of the organisation. They're the people who are interfacing with the customers. They're largely the people who are interfacing with stakeholders and anybody in the supply chain or whatever it happens to be. And they notice things. They notice what's working and what's not working. They have ideas about how to make this better. There may be a better model or a better structure or maybe we don't go through this way we should go through that way because they're trying to deal with all of this stuff they have all this knowledge so they have what if they're talking to us and giving us that feedback from an organizational point of view it can be an early predictor of trouble coming or some change or something happening these weak signals it can help in terms of knowledge management and data. Certainly an integral part of knowledge management and innovation, because a lot of the ideas come from, um, from staff. They're seeing what's going on. The information in there is central to things like troubleshooting, problem solving, and decision-making. And as I say, all the ideas come from there, and it's about improvement. Now, if we have an organization where there is no voice, people are not putting forward ideas, are not showing, you know, speaking up and saying there's a problem over here, essentially the organization and the leadership and the management are flying blind, beyond which the things that they know themselves, but they don't have the kind of rich picture of what's going on within the organization and without the organization. So with customers and things like that. And that is a severe problem for organizations. And quite often they don't recognize that and they don't recognize the value of the staff, of the employees in terms of all of this stuff. And uh, that's a severe limitation on any organization to cut all that information off. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why voices described and defined like it is that it's a purposeful voicing of problems, ideas, things like that. So having said all of that, there's a question here about, so what predicts it? What are the factors that help to promote or create voice within organizations so that we're getting all of this information? So what I'm I'm going to show you now is based on a, a, a new review that's just been published and some of the bits and pieces. And once I've finished, I'll share with you a zip file of all of the or most of the research briefings that we've done on employee voice. So you've got them all all in one go. So the predictors of voice. The first clump of predictors come under the heading latent voice opportunity what that means, what the researchers are talking about there is whether there's a potential for an employee to express express their ideas, suggestions or concern. 
So we've given them, there is an opportunity there. We're not just, you know, they're shut in a room and nobody's talking to them. Now, in order for this cluster of factors to become, to help to turn into voice behaviours, there's there's a few um, things that have to happen. Firstly, the employees themselves need to be aware that there's a problem or they have an idea themselves. That's obvious, you know, fairly obvious. The second part of this, which is critical, and we'll come back to this a couple of times, is that they need the motivation to share. They want to share. And if they don't want to share, we're, we're into silence and we've got a problem. Um, so the motivation, you know, is there a motivation for people to do this? And then lastly, and again, this is important, that it's based on unique information, so that they possess some unique information that increases the likelihood. So if they know something that nobody else knows, what we find is they're more likely to share it. If they think it's common knowledge, quite often they won't share it. So that's that's a quite a significant predictor. And it becomes quite important because if there's a lot of information that sounds the same in an organization that can become noise everybody's saying the same thing it can be data as well just depends on how that works so that's the first cluster latent voice opportunities then come individual characteristics and these are the characteristics of the individual employee so things like personal dispositions traits such as initiative extroversion, proactive personality, which is a biggie. And we'll do another session on proactivity because it's it's kind of important in organisations. And personality traits like conscientiousness are good predictors of whether people are likely to speak up and engage in voice behaviours. Then the next group of individual characteristics are what are known as core self-evaluations. These are how people view themselves, and whether they um, they have a sense that they have some form of control about what they do and how they do it, so a level of autonomy within the organisation, that predicts voice behaviours and influences motivation to share. And then status, so self-perceived status, so whether they, they feel that they have agency within the organisation makes a big difference and what tends to happen with status is that it increases people's level of psychological safety and that encourages on its own encourages the likelihood of people speaking up and then one of the last group of individual characteristics from the, the latest kind of rounds of research over the last five or six years is gender so depending on the makeup of the organization, um, it's been found that women tend to share less if they feel like they're in the minority and if there's no presence of other female leaders and supportive leadership. And it just depends on the, the kind of culture and nature of the organization. Um, but that, that can have a significant impact on helping voice behaviors. The next group are attitudes and emotions. So things like job satisfaction. So job satisfaction has kind of a, a U-shaped relationship with um, 
voice behaviors where um a medium amount of and this is a bit perverse kind of it's counterintuitive anyway you'd think those people who are least happy with their jobs and the most happy are mo more likely to share what they've discovered is it's the opposite it's the people in the middle who are most likely to share because they see both sides so people who are really peed off tend to just go quiet and people who are super happy they may be sharing but they may not be sharing anything that's of huge value then there's whether people feel responsible and obligated towards the organization in some way. So things like organizational commitment, organizational citizenship behaviors are good predictors of voice. And then lastly, perceived job and organizational fit. Do they perceive that their values and the values of the organization are close enough? Or is there a perceived misfit or alignment with the with the organization so if there's a misfit they're less likely to engage in voice behaviors if they feel aligned with the organization and its values they're much more likely to engage in voice behaviors then we come to relational contextual factors um uh, sorry leadership style sorry wrong slide uh, leadership style behavior and attitudes so this is the attitudes and the behavior of the leader and this is one of the biggest clusters of research. So the leader's behavior, attitudes, and the style that they're using has one of the biggest impacts on voice behavior. So leadership styles like ethical leadership, empowering leadership, transformational, servant leadership, and inclusive leadership all tend to help develop voice behaviors. Whereas things like Machiavellianism, transactional um transactional leadership styles tend to lower the amount of voice behaviors that are going on. And then you've got specific leadership behaviors like inclusivity, whether they help people, um, their responsiveness, um, all enhance employee voice. And then leader, what's known as dispositional characteristics, things like humility, integrity, and that they have a sense of control and agency all help with promoting voice within employees. And then we've got the relational contextual factors, things like relationships with other co-workers. Is there a sense of respect and support from other co-workers? Because if there is, that increases the chances of people speaking up. If people feel isolated and they don't feel that there's a support, it's a supportive environment, they're less likely to share, particularly with, with uh, other co-workers. Then comes LMX or leader member exchange. And that's the quality of the, the relationship between the manager uh, and the employee. The better the quality of the relationship, the more likely people are likely to speak up. Because that's because remember it's informal. It's not the formal stuff. It's the informal chats. So LMX makes a big difference. And then what's known as network position. This is where an individual feels like they are within the system and the network, um, and where their team is as well. So if they they think their team has influence, they're much more likely to speak up. If they think their team doesn't have influence, they're less likely to speak up.
And then finally, in this cluster, kind of organizational structures and practices. So structures that are hierarchical or centralized tend to reduce um, voice behaviors, whereas any structure and practices that promote employee involvement and decision-making where people feel that they're involved in the decision-making increases voice behavior. And then we come to what are known as differential predictors. So within voice behaviors, there are two types of voice behaviors. There are what are known as promotive voice. So these are the kinds of things about suggesting changes, ideas, improvements, innovation, and things like that, promotive voice. And then prohibitive voice, which is raising concerns, pointing out problems, highlighting practices, behaviours that should be stopped or changed to prevent negative outcomes. So both of those are important. But what the research is finding is that there are different predictors for each of those. So things like an individual's, what's known as promotion focus. So whether the individual themselves is oriented towards achieving outcomes kind of has a growth mindset and those kinds of things that tends to promote more promotive voice behaviors so ideas and things like that whereas things like approach orientation which is kind of a, a psychological mindset where individuals are inclined to actively engage in situations seek out opportunities to contribute and address kind of issues what that tends to do is increase prohibitive voice behaviors and then cultural values. So the values both at a macro level within the country can promote either of those two. So what you find in some cultures, they're very happy giving ideas, but they're very unlikely to suggest that there's a problem from some cultures. So there are cultural factors involved here. And that's both at a macro level, national level, but also you start to find that at a, a local level as well, a micro level within the organisation. So you'll see cultures of feedback, types of feedback that are allowed and aren't allowed within the culture, and understanding that can help. And then finally, we'll have a look at the predictors of silence. Remember, this is the refusal to speak up. Not just going quiet it's the refusal they, they've got information they're refusing to hand it over the biggest predictors for silence are leader behavior so things like abusive supervision um and so where leaders you know really kind of machiavellian they don't care about people they're shouting at people and those kinds of things increases employee silence and usually anything that the leader does that increases emotional exhaustion and psychological distress increase silence behaviors then things like leader narcissism so narcissistic leaders just on their own tend to increase silence and that's where the leaders are just promoting themselves and you get that sense that they're out for themselves and they don't care about you and they'll stand on anyone. That increases silence. And then there's a whole set of behaviours around what's known as knowledge hiding, where people think, you know, I have a strategic advantage if I know this and nobody else does. Or 
I don't want them to know. And, and there's a whole series of knowledge hiding behaviors. And if that becomes endemic within an organization or we notice leaders doing it, what tends to happen is trust tends to drop and then people start to disengage. And as a result of that, we get silence. And then things like power distance. So where there's a, a big distance between the employee and the leader, quite often in centralized organizations where the leader's actually physically a long way away, but also where they're emotionally a long way away. You know, you, you very rarely see them. The only time they come down onto the floor is when there's a problem. Those kinds of things. Anything that increases the distance between the manager and the employee increases silence, the chances of silence. The second one of these is work context. So things like mixed messages about status and worth, so where people don't know where they stand. Any form of ambiguity and uncertainty increase silence. So it's where there's kind of mixed signals about things. You know where the boss says, my door's always open. And yet when you try to go in, they go, oh, yeah, I'm busy, not now. And you go, yeah, okay, yeah, your door's open, but your head's not. So anything that's mixed messages like that across the organization increase silence. And then kind of collective beliefs about voice. So is there a cultural thing that actually speaking up's not a good good idea? Um uh that whole thing about, you know, keep your head down and stay quiet. If that's a predominant kind of message that's coming across, keep your head under the parapet, then increases silence. And then things like occupational ideologies. And what that means are things like where loyalty, for example, is equated with silence or where leaders misinterpret the silence and think nobody's saying anything. Therefore, I've either got acquiescence or they all agree. So there's all these assumptions that are being made by the leaders. If they start to make those assumptions and it takes hold, that increases silence across the organization. And then employee-sponsored voice mechanisms. Um, so they're more structured parts where they're meant to be talk they're meant to be talking, so meetings and things. But actually, it's gone quiet on that channel. So if a channel's gone quiet, we're more likely to get silence. And then finally, what are known as individual predictors, things like emotions, emotions like anger can reduce silence. Um, and other emotions like depression, um, anything that's negative where people are feeling hard done by, anything like that can re increase silence where people perceive they have very little power and agency um that or that they can say something but nothing's going to happen that increases silence and then things like socio-democratic disadvantage so things like being female where there are very very other women in the organization or within that position um, minorities, particularly if they perceive that they're a minority and that that minority is not being listened to, that they that as a group they don't have voice, will increase silence. Um, and then 
the last part of that is whether there's a strong social network. If there's a poor social network where people aren't connected and they don't feel supported and they don't talk to other people, significantly more likely to get silence at that point, particularly with disadvantaged groups. Right, I'm going to stop there and I'll just open it up. Questions, comments or thoughts? David, a question that, that I had is um, it's hard for me to imagine that these conditions are monolithic in the organization, meaning to what extent might factions of either based on um, organizational structure or core work functionality, et cetera, also be uh, sort of micro elements of a larger system? Yeah, yeah. Well, these are all system issues. And so what's coming, the picture that's coming out is that it's kind of a multifactorial um, issue. There are lots of factors and there isn't any one thing that predicts voice or silence. But when you start to get clusters of things, then it'll edge towards people speaking up and being involved or not or right at the other end, actually silence refusing. So there's a there's a difference between just going quiet and then refusing to talk. So, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just imagining that in a large enough uh, group of people, you could have a, let's say, a great manager and a really poor manager, and the level of communication with the great manager could be quite different than somebody yeah. in a different setting, independent of the larger sort of top version of this yeah so you can get clusters clusters of voice and clusters of silence yeah yeah, yeah. yeah nice thanks Rick. Uh, yeah john the reason i'm back again is this is fascinating you've done such a great job on this in the states we have a tremendous issue with this and like you say at the command college at our higher level uh, issue that's not being taught in leadership training with the exception of Amy Amy Edvinson out of Harvard and her books and her works, but she does not go into the detail, the specificity that you do, which yeah. really bends. And, and uh, you can be a great leader, but if you don't understand these issues, you're building those same walls. So I, I find, in fact, I'm going to do a case study on this next week in university. I find this to be tremendously helpful in a, in a leadership. Yeah, I think it's a real problem because it's kind of, there's all this research and nobody's talking about it. And it's so critical in an organization. You know, if you've got people not saying anything, it's virtually you're leading and managing blind. You know, having all this information is critical to having good operations, being able to improve things, helping, you know, a whole series of things. And, and yet, you know, very rarely I've seen very, very few leadership programs talk about it. Uh, you know, anything like that. You don't see conversations in order. They talk about employee engagement. And this is connected to that. But I've hardly ever heard organizations actually get to grips with what voice is and then start a discourse going, start a discussion going across the organization about, look, we need good voice behaviors because they are our eyes and ears. 
and and people just tend to see what they see rather than realizing that there's a whole collective like intelligence system that sits in the system this has got profound implications for safety critical industries doesn't it i mean yeah. really profound and i can think of somewhere in rick's locale where where they might be feeling the the cold chill of silence um organizational silence uh, whistling through whistling through the hangars um and and what is interesting and alarming is is how complex it is i mean it's it's rather like squeezing a balloon isn't it i mean you're trying to resolve it at this end and you've got someone who's sitting in a shed over the other side of the airfield who's yeah. actually creating silence when some another part of the organization is actually discouraging silence and encouraging people to speak up yeah exactly and, and that's why i think it's a real issue that organizer it's not part of the discourse within organizations you know it should be it should be part of you know assessment of leaders on an ongoing basis and competencies and all the rest of it you know that it should just be part of the discussion but it's largely it's not Oh, you've gone quiet, David, Murray. David, I also, I also am thinking a great many of these don't have these distinctions you're laying out. Mm. You know, so 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 a framing mechanism to even begin to address this is lacking because they they don't understand uh, just say just the basic slides you put forward. Forget all the other stuff that lives behind it. That's really where the work yes. is. Yeah, exactly. I've just sent a there's a, a zip file. Um, with that, what I've done is I've collected. So we've done quite a lot of research briefings around voice over the years, and that that's got them all in. So it's kind of a, a little collection that I brought together of of all the latest research, including the review that a lot of this is based on that's just been published. So that's going out at the weekend. So, so. I I had a question. How how are they measuring voice in these studies? Like how do I'm they measuring it? yeah 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 it's more of a descriptor than a measuring because mm -hmm. it's it's about whether it's useful and it's so and i i kind of just go back to that and it, it's I, I don't normally like definitions definitions and you go yeah 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 but actually this one's quite important because it makes a big difference see what happens is organizations confuse the structures that they put committees and things with organizational voice what organizational voice is about it's those informal things where you just chat to your managers and go actually mm -hmm. i think there's a better way of doing this rather than waiting for for those informal things so there's less less of a measure such a voice and i suppose you could have a some form of matrix you could construct some form of matrix <laughs> There is a there is um, an employee voice. I'll look it up. I'll find it. There's there's an employee voice um, instrument. Uh, I don't. I haven't had a look at it. How valid it is. So, um, but it, it's it's really a kind of an issue about discourse, if that makes sense. Uh, I guess I was I was thinking, how does an organization realize that? they don't have a voice <laughs> like that that's not happening like how do they yeah how do they Plus, know it yeah is there a constant chatter of ideas you know is there you know are people raising problems all the time you know mm -hmm. and and is 
And then is that because either there's no issues, which like what organization that is, I, I can't imagine. Um, like what's going on when there isn't that chatter that's about this stuff, about improvement and change. And quite often, I think most organizations don't have a constant chatter about improvement and change. Mm-hmm. And oh. if you don't, there's a question, why? Yeah, John. Could you show what you did in the last session? That was like gold about drawing the, uh, the uh, showing this change between command staff uh, and the operationalities at the bottom. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Hang on. Yeah. So one of the things that tends to get misinterpreted within organizations is the role of managers. A lot of organizations and managers themselves and leaders think the role of managers is to manage that bit, their bit, whatever it happens to be. And that's what they they consider. But when we start to think about leadership management in a slightly different way as part of a, a line of communication, which employee voice is. So if we think about the leaders at the top and we think about whoever it is that's kind of at the bottom of the organization doing whatever they do, right? These people up here have got all the agency and all the authority. They can change things. They can completely change the direction of the organization. But actually, most of the information about what's going on in the business with the customers and everything is down here. So they're making decisions based on what they know without usually listening to what's going on down here. And when we think about it in terms of organizations, a good organization will have a line of communication so that these people understand what these decisions are and why, and that they agree with them because it makes sense to them, and that these people are making decisions based on good data. Now, when you start to think about this as a line of communication within organizations, we've got these people called managers who sit on this line. Now, usually, as I say, one of the problems is that they see their job as just managing this little bit here rather than being part of the line of communication up and down making sure the right stuff's getting to the right people they have a responsibility within the structure to get the right information to the right people that hardly ever spoken about it's a real issue but they are part of that communication line which is which employee voice is all about why they should be listening to them and they should be listening to them. And this, oh, this is an important bit of information that this person here has just told me. And actually, given what they're making decisions about, they need to know. Now, I I did a piece of work quite a few years ago in a bank. um, And one of the things that we, I was showing them all of this and we're doing quite a lot of work on turning the managers into being part of the communication line. And one of the things that we realized was that it's kind of hard because there are personalities involved and this person here hates that person. So they're quite happy for that person not to know things. So we get that information hiding, knowledge hiding. So we created a little post here. And that was kind of an organizational greaser, if you were like, they could be in any meetings, they could walk into anybody's office, but they were skilled facilitators, not somebody who was telling tales, 
right? Because nobody had talked to them. So if they heard something down here that this person hadn't passed to that person and should know about it, this person would come in and say, not what the information was, maybe you want to talk to this person down there and ask them about X, I'll see you. Or talking to this person and saying, you might want to just make touch base with them because they're doing something that's important to you. I'll see you. And it's years ago, like in the nights of old, you used to get organizational jesters, you know, kind of jesters to the court who would, and their job was not just to make fun, but what they were doing was holding a mirror up to the king or the queen and the court and saying, this is ridiculous. So there's this kind of, and and some organizations have like organizational um, poets, for example, whose job it is. So David White, if you've ever come across David White, he's an organizational poet. Um, so, but their job is as an organizational observer to look at the whole thing, the whole structure, how is, how is it working, and then perform interventions to get these people to see that as well which is a completely different thing. What that means, therefore, is you, this is a very skilled role, very skilled, and you need somebody with who can put things together and see things. And there are people who are very good at this. So we did this with this bank, and it really made a difference in terms of the communication, lines of communication, decision-making, a whole series of things. And... The other thing that it did was it reduced a lot of the conflict within the organisation quite quickly as well. Do you know anywhere else that that's been been utilised as a standard procedure, David, or was, was that a...? No, it was kind of a one-off. Where There's myself and another colleague where this year one of the things that we're working on is pulling together a programme to start to develop these people and start out where how to get influence within organization soft influence you know without the power but they've got to sit outside one of the things we did realize is they've got to sit outside the structure so that they're not their pay promotion isn't governed by one of the managers you know you, they've got to be sat outside so that their their wages are secure there's no promotion they're not part of that system right. so Eddie, are there other good case studies of all no, uh, problems? I don't know about that, Eddie. Um, this is in chat. Um, it's a good question. Yeah, I haven't come across any, um, but there, there may well be some in 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 the literature. So uh, we can we can have a look certainly. Great. Any other comments, thoughts, or questions about any of this stuff? Donald, when will your, uh, you say the zip, zip drive and the slide date, when will it be available? Uh, um, in it's it's in the chat. If you go into the chat and scroll up. Yeah, just On you like an old suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, have you got, got it? Of, 
You got it, John. Yeah, good. Yeah, just right. download it and unzip it, and uh, all the briefings are in there. This is highly useful, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be building the case study this weekend. Very, very useful. Information. Yeah, great. Share the research briefings. Helps us too. The, um, yes, the the organizational silence and the contribution of of people throughout Dagny throughout the organization, I think, is now it the, it slots into place the the cotter sort of the cotter uh, diverse many um, uh, the the new um, the creative network and volunteer army uh, HMS I think one of their their case studies uh, was very very successful in getting the organization to speak about the change and then continue speaking about change because it was so such a diverse they had 65 percent of their workforce in that volunteer group and I oh. think that's pretty unprecedented uh, but that yeah. is the approach that Cot is suggesting. You have the, the you have the um, the um, oh, it's late, David. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, you have the guiding coalition and the the creative network all working together on the problem, and getting that that dialogue going up and down the organisation. And I guess this is where this is, must have some some feedback from the research that's been done. Yes, yeah, definitely, and and some of it's around creating a language that makes sense to people, so that they get what this means and how important it is. Um, there, there was a really interesting, which is kind of a larger case study. It wasn't organisational. It was the whole. So there was um, uh, I wrote about this in um, the ambiguity advantage. There's um, uh. So when South Africa, the apartheid was coming to the, to an end, um, Shell particularly had huge vested interest in South Africa, and really didn't want to want it to turn into a bloodbath, or any other form that would be a real problem. And what they did was they got um, a load of consultants in, and they did a, a thing called the Montfleur process, which was highly successful. Basically, what they did was they did scenario planning. They came up with five scenarios of what could end up with the with in the country when white rule ended and it went to a democratic rule, right? So they and their five went from like a really terrible civil war scenario and the whole country blows up to um, a peaceful transition of power with intelligence where the economy is still working, where the whole things working and i say it was called the montfleur process and one of the issues that they had was that quite a large percentage of the population were illiterate and didn't read and write so they created cartoons and um comics and so each of these scenarios they gave names to so one was um ostrich in the sand where de Klerk, who was the prime minister at the time would stick his head in the sand and not do anything and that the the outgoing administration would just hope that it all failed you know and that was that was called the ostrich scenario there was um uh, a flight to the okay there was one of oh the, the icarus scenario where um the incoming um uh, government took over um and then 
went on a spending spree and burst the economy. So it was a bit like Icarus flying too close to the sun and the whole thing kind of collapsing. And they called that the, the Icarus scenario. because people. And it was an interesting set of language because people, it was round animals and things, and people could relate to that. And de Klerk himself actually referred to the fact that he was not an ostrich premier as a result of this. And that, that the whole peaceful transition was largely put down to the work that was done in this Montfleur process. And it's a similar thing. I've, I've, done, a, I've done a similar thing with the Montfleur process with years and years ago, um, Royal Mail. Um, I did a whole load of consultancy work with Royal Mail as they were transitioning into digital. So emails had arrived and they were panicking um, and they were trying to work out how they were going to go forward and still make money. Um, so we used this process, exactly this process, for coming up with strategies, five strategies using the Montfleur process and then take it from there. And largely it worked. So. Okay, I have an anecdote. Sorry, Go sorry. Ahead, I have an anecdote I want to share with you just for your commentary. I've heard this all my career over a span of 45 years. Great leaders, a lot of good leaders would say, tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. That's an antidote I've heard over the years, which backs yeah. up a lot of the empirical stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Rick, were you going to say something? Yeah, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts. To what extent have you thought about... Um, how people can get hurt by trying to address this gap in how communication is getting done uh, when they don't have uh, the same level of authority that they're speaking up to. Yeah. If somebody does get hurt, so somebody does speak up and they get their knees chopped off or something happens, what you're going to have, you, you're going to have a pretty endemic silence, you know, yeah. you shoot, shoot one and they all limp. Um, and it's the same in any community. You, mm -hmm. That's why, you know, the leaders really need to be on, need to understand this and need to understand how to, what voice is and how to foster it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hi, Celia. Just popped up on the camera. <laughs> Just a comment. Yeah, Morning. Hi. Um, I was just thinking that there seems it sounds like this needs a lot of wisdom because it's very easy for someone to raise their voice to say something meaningful and the response of the or the key people can be can almost shut it down um, where you're pointing at something but they suddenly read it as uh, that you're attacking them or or maybe you haven't got the skill to be able to state something that people will hear because they are really too busy in their heads to to hear that particular message. So that that's just something I was uh, thinking about there. Yeah, yeah. Some of the so there's there's a couple of papers that are based on how to help people have voice, learning how to have voice. And, and again, this comes back, you know, it's not just you don't see this on leadership development programs. 
there's no learning and development within the organization to help people to learn how to speak up and to learn what to speak up about so that they don't become noise or they're not speaking up about the wrong things because then what we're not trying to do is increase noise we're trying to increase the potential for change and it's it's getting people to understand that and quite often and i, I remember a, there was a, a thing with a police force that um, i was doing some work with and they were trying to increase employee voice for innovation for ideas um and they just ended up creating a whole load of noise because everybody was chattering and none of it was particularly useful um, because people misinterpreted it. They just thought that this was about speaking and it's not. Yeah, nice. Thanks, Alice. Anything else? David, um... On that note of it needing skills, mm. uh, have you seen any good programs or structures for building those skills across an organisation? I haven't. I, I, I think so. I kind of opened with a, a statement about this is kind of hidden. It's hardly ever spoken about. And I don't see it cropping up in organizations. I don't see it cropping up, you know, in programs, leadership programs, management programs. I hear a lot about employee engagement, but hardly anything about this. Yeah. And yet it's so fundamental and critical. As I say, you know, without this, without employee voice and, and voice behaviors, essentially as a leader, you're blind. They've got all this information and ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I'm, I, I'm actually leading a piece of work this year. <laughs> so I'm I'm interested to hear if anyone is doing anything. We're, we're doing a like a listening strategy. Um, yeah. Piece of work. So this this is just so relevant um, to okay. this. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie's just put in the and, chat. Oh, Eddie as well. Yeah, yeah, Eddie's just said he's developing something. I've got it in my book, Burning Command, I talk about it, but not to the specificity or you go to a, a more of, I guess, of, of a deeper understanding than enough. Amy Amerson's work is, is really good at Harvard, but it yeah. doesn't go to the in-depth uh, that you do. So I'm, I'm revising mine. That's what I'm doing. And just not call it psychological safety, but go to a more in-depth understanding of the nexus yeah. between voice and silence. Yeah, and I think you'll find the research briefing um, useful for that. And in fact, one of the research briefings this is based on anyway, which is the review, so a systematic review that was going on by Morrison. Yeah. I find oh. all your research brief uh, briefings useful. Good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I think the risk you've got here is that, that the, the potential for derailment is significant right across the process. So, for example, Celia can create the program I'll give you an example. Uh, in the airline industry, that you have a, an ASR, Air Safety Report System, which is supposed to protect the reporter in order to encourage people to report. Um, and that works fine because the, the, person, the reporter is protected broadly, not, not from, from gross negligence or, or whatever, but they're protected, which encourages people to submit safety reports, which then encourages the safety culture. However, 
you only need and i've seen it happen in an airline you only need one person to be disciplined for one air safety report and you've killed the whole system yeah and that's the risk with this because of the complexity of of mm. the number of of landmines that are sitting out there mm. that can derail um a voice program and a voice encouragement program yeah. i would suggest requires significant thought and great bounty for whoever resolves the problem yeah i think this this yeah it takes energy you know it, th this isn't a this isn't a simple thing and it's going to occur over a, a period of time but if the pressure's kept up and it's part of the discourse a continual part of the discourse about Helps. what it is and what we're trying to do here and that there's a level of forgiveness within the system particularly in the early days i you know it's got to be better than no information flowing and it's got to have sponsorship from right at the top of the organization oh, that's, that's key it's, it's yeah. cultural, isn't it it's cultural yeah Mayor, that's that's uh that's what we're looking at when you saw force in the states is a a blame culture versus a just culture and it's got to be a total shift like you y'all you, are talking about got to be just it's got to be a just culture that's right that's and right it, it can't be a no blame culture and it certainly can't be a blame culture because that's a killer yes yeah and it goes right along with what dr wilkerson said in his review i mean the, creating this voice in a just culture yeah yeah we've done quite a, quite a lot on just cultures in fact we did a session on it and we so yeah and and they go hand in hand yeah yeah, brilliant. Anything else? Last couple of minutes. Your COVID update. Yeah, I'm fine. So thanks. <laughs> yeah, wasn't a lot of fun at the time. No, I read your email. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> got me eventually. Yeah. So people get. I've had a, quite a few emails saying, "Oh my god, I hope you're all right and all the rest of it." And um, how have you managed to not get it for so long? I say oh, it's simple. I'm just really antisocial. <laughs> you haven't moved to Cumbria before. <laughs> yeah, I actually got it down south, <laughs> Bristol. Ghastly, <laughs> darling, ghastly. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and brought it up here. Started infecting yeah. everyone up here. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Brilliant. Anything else? Dude, I just, I just want to, I just want to thank you for persistently pro providing this space and this, this, uh, these opportunities to have these conversations and gain access to stuff that I would never probably know to think about, much less find. So it's just an incredible offer and gift. So thank you for that. I, I second that. I really appreciate I second that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and it's that serendipity stuff, isn't it? You just never know where it's going to lead. And it, I, I feel so fortunate. It's like, you know, because I'm I'm doing this all the time and it's like just a constant learning. And I, I come across things and go, whoa, I never knew that. Whoa, hang on a minute. That connects to this and that influences that. And, oh, that's, yeah, and that's starting to impact over here. Yeah, it's amazing. I find out every day how ignorant I am, Doc. Every day. <laughs> Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> it's quite salutary, yes, I know. <laughs> Brilliant. Great. Enjoy what's left of the month and uh, 
happy 2024. And um, we've got the serendipity call, not next week, but it's the week after because of the way the dates work, first Tuesday of the month. Um, and then what I might do is a small series, uh, Barry asked for this and I've been looking at it, uh, around uh, design thinking, what it is and how it can be used in organisations. Um, there's quite a lot in design thinking for organisational development. Um, there's a lot in that space, actually, a lot more than I thought. So, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's been quite an interesting kind of trundle into all of that. So that's I think that's what we're going to be looking at next, if I can get it all together by next the end of February. Excellent. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. Take Thank care, you, guys. David. Good to see everybody. See you next week. Look forward to the results of your um of your program. Mm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let us know. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. 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 Well, we can all contribute to it. We can. We can do the. We can do the, the diverse many. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's solve the world's yeah. world's problems collectively. Good. <laughs> Fantastic. Have fun. Take care. Take care, Tuesday. Bye. 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 B